This is Tim Bryan, pastor of Lifeway Apostolic Church, and this is our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. My prayer is that this message will inspire, build your faith, and draw you closer to Jesus Christ. Enjoy this message. Amen. Again, I give honor to the men that spoke and um, to those who helped with praise and worship, Sunday school teachers over the last um, last week. So appreciative of people that we can we can trust in for that. Amen. Um, I do have. I was the one thing I wanted to do on vacation, other than sleep a little bit, was to try Gator, and I tried Gator for the first time. Bless God, there's anointing on Gator, and um, it's good food. There you go. Elder Haywood said, you, you got to try it, and I did. Bless the Lord. And um, so there you go. That's my one story of my vacation. And um, so anyway, well, let's get into the word of the Lord tonight. Excited to teach. Um, as a minister and as a pastor, you, you uh, get excited if you miss a couple services and try to um, just anxious to get back into teaching the word of the Lord. I was sharing with um, a couple people before service, Sister Cheryl and, and Sister Bonnie, that a lot of times how you learn through the word of God is to teach the word of God. And it's one thing to hear the word, read the word. But when you become a doer of the word, that's when you learn. You really grow uh, when you begin to do the word of the Lord. We're going to open your Bibles with me tonight to 2 Timothy. And um, before we read perhaps some scripture, I want to kind of give it a little bit of preface um, to 2 Timothy. Um, the, the theme, if you will, of 2 Timothy is faithfulness. Somebody say faithfulness. And, but it's faithfulness in the face of persecution um, and false teachings. That's what Paul is writing to Timothy about. He says, be faithful um, because you're going to face some things and you're going to come up against some things, but I'm going to encourage you to be faithful. So at the outset of tonight, I want to say to you tonight, as Paul admonished Timothy, is be faithful. And I'm not talking just about to the house of God on Wednesday or Sunday. I'm talking about being faithful to him. Be faithful to God because he has been faithful unto us. Be, be a good steward of the word of God. Be a good steward of, of what God has given to you. Be a good steward of, of your time. Be a good steward of, of, who, uh, of your time with the Lord. Be faithful. Because there are going to become times in your life that, uh, that will challenge your faithfulness. It'll challenge your, your resolve. But Paul repeatedly in 2 Timothy, and even in 1 Timothy, exhorted to Timothy. He said, Timothy, you need to be faithful. So Paul begins to teach Timothy. Everybody say teach. Teach Timothy to remain strong. To be faithful in the truth and be faithful in his calling to the ministry. It's important. Each one of us in this room have a calling upon your life. You have a calling upon your life. God, and he wants to uh, and show you how to, uh, to, uh, to live out that calling and to be strong in your calling and be faithful to the truth that God has given to us. Second Timothy was written by Paul, as we've already kind of said, to Timothy. And we know that this is the second letter to Timothy because it says 2 Timothy. That's how smart I am. Thank you. I'm brilliant that way. Some of you don't realize that. Um, 1 Timothy would be the first one. That's, I'm telling you, this is going to get real deep. 2 Timothy is the second one. Thank you. Somebody said, Wow. You can say that backwards too. Wow. All right. Yes. See what vacation does for me? Just the simple things wow me. So Paul was very impassioned with this, this scripture, this second letter. 
um, this was a personal letter to Timothy that he really wanted to be it to be known to everybody, but he was writing to Timothy, and he had a little bit of passion in his tone. I'm going to express to you why he had such a passion in this second letter to Timothy. You see, Paul was impassioned because he was in a prison in Rome. Uh, this imprisonment would lead to Paul's death under Nero, who died in AD 68. 68 AD. Therefore, the likely time of Paul's writing would be shortly before that in late 67 AD or 68 AD. And since 2 Timothy was likely Paul's last writing, it is commonly to looked at as this his last will and testament to his son in the Lord. So it was written with some passion. It was written with some gumption about it. It was written with some kind of, I, I want Timothy to understand exactly what, I, what I'm trying to accomplish here. I, I want him to know how I feel. I want him to know the urgency of the hour. I want him to know that you have to be resolved and be faithful because there are going to come times in your life that will challenge your faithfulness, challenge your life. Go to 2 Timothy, verse number, chapter number 1. Um, well, let me back up here real quick. We'll read, read through this here in just a moment. But Paul, as I mentioned, Paul often referred to Timothy as the son in the gospel. Now, it's not clear that I could find in Scripture whether Paul won Timothy to the Lord or Paul was just a mentor to, to Timothy. But it's obvious that Paul knew Timothy very well because he knew his grandmother, and he knew his mother because he calls them out in the first few verses of, this, of the scripture. And what was their names was Eunice and Lois. Grandmother was Lois and the mother of Eunice. So he had an intimate relationship, a close relationship with Timothy and had that close relationship with the family. So it, Paul was much, we'll just call him a mentor, a disciple unto Timothy. Um, Paul earlier in scripture charged Timothy with serving as the role of an overseer to the church at Ephesus. Find that in 1 Timothy chapter number 1. But now in chapter number, or in, in 2 Timothy, uh, Paul was now urging Timothy, you need to come and see me. I'm in prison because my time is coming out, it's coming short. You need to come and see me right away. He expresses that in several times in scripture 2 Timothy 4. But let's look at this first chapter. Um, Paul greets Timothy in this letter, kind of a heading to the letter. And verse number 2 says to Timothy, my delivery beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, O Lord. And then he gives the thank, Timothy. He said, I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers who with pure conscience that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers day and night. Isn't it nice to know somebody's praying for you? It is greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy fears that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that thee also have that. So what he's saying, he says, I see something in you that is in the years before you. It's nice to have a heritage. Say, well, pastor, I don't have a heritage. Guess what you can do? You can start a new heritage. That's the great thing about the Lord, that no matter where you are, you can start that next generation. Let me just say this, the prevailing thought of 2 Timothy from this point on this becomes very powerful to me. And it kind of really challenged me as I was studying this. The prevailing thought of, or insight, if you will, of 2 Timothy is that this is Paul's final reminder. Final reminder that truth will always be under fire. It will always be under fire. Let me say that again. It will always be under fire. But we cannot allow our faith to fail. 
Therefore, Paul says to Timothy, do not let your faith fail. And as people of the name of Jesus, we must remain faithful to the truth. Remain faithful in the midst of persecutions and false teachings. There are many people that are teaching the wrong doctrine, but do not cave to the wrong doctrine. You need to submit to the right doctrine, which is the truth of Jesus Christ. That There is only one Lord and one faith and one baptism. That we are to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. You must be filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. We need to repent and die daily. We need to live a holy and separated life. Those are just some fundamental teachings of the truth of God. And many, we like to shout about those things, but it's okay to say that we need to live with love and joy, and peace and long-suffering and have love one for another. Somebody say amen. Teaching one another, helping one another. What Paul was telling Timothy is that you have got to understand that when I die, somebody needs to pick up the torch. Because the false teachers are going to be out there. No matter where you go, things are going to come against you. So we jump to verse number 6. It says, wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee. By putting on of my hands. This scripture, as I studied this scripture, just, you know, I wanted to shout through the house. And, because there's, there's an incredible element of discipleship in this verse right here. There's an incredible element of teaching in this scripture. Paul was in prison. Timothy was a son of his in the gospel. Is trying to share with Timothy the importance of understanding, of stirring up the gift of God. Now, many will say, was Paul trying to give him the Holy Ghost? No, he was not giving him the Holy Ghost. Or saying, I need to put my hands on you. Another version says it this way. For this reason, I remind you to fan into, the, into flame the gift of God. The coals that are on your life... I'm telling this, you need to fan that flame. It's because when, the, when, the, when, the, when the, uh, the things come up against you, you need to be on fire for God. You don't need to be just wondering if the coals are about to go out or there will be no question whether you're on fire or not. Say sometimes if you have, a, you have a fire in the sand, you can cover that fire up with the embers with the sand and then if you need to come back, you can come back to it and uncover the sand and, and blow that ember back up. That's not, we need to have an open flame for everybody to see what's going on in our life. We have an open flame. He says, I want to remind you that you need to fan into a flame the gift of God what's in you. Do when we get up in the morning, we need to fan that flame. When you fan the flame, it gets bolder, it gets larger. The, the more area is influenced by a large flame. It's for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now, this is very interesting. I've thought about how to play this out in tonight's service. I may have asked for a volunteer here in just a moment. And I may ask for more volunteers. We'll just see how it goes. If this goes really bad, then act like you never saw it before. And you just, you know. But if it goes good, then you can give God all the credit. But I believe the Lord is showing me something here today. That in scripture that I believe is very important in today's time. Because I believe somehow down the line we have missed some things. Maybe it's just me. Maybe you haven't. Maybe it's just, just me. But I, I, have, I have missed this in my life. Bible says, I'm going to read it again, 1 Timothy 1, 6. Wherefore I put in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God. Okay? Fan, that, fan into flame the Spirit of God. It says, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. Now it's 
you know, I struggle with this for a little bit. Because who does Paul say that he is, that his hands are the anointed ones? But there's a level of discipleship here. There's a level of uh, instruction to what he's talking about. When he's saying putting on hands, he means I'm going to walk with you, talk with you, show you, mentor you, help you, develop you, show you how to live, show you how to act. There was, I know me and my family's in here. I like to rat on my family every once in a while. There was a situation. Rose, I'm not ratting on my family. I'm just talking about life. And don't get crazy up in here. Some of y'all went out last week. I'm calling somebody out. Went and told my wife what I said last week. And before I got home, rebuking people right now. I'm not going to say, I'll just say their initials. Tina Barkley it was, just, was the one that ratted me out. Oh, did I say, she asked you. That's right, she came in late. I asked you not to say something. No, I'm just teasing. I'm, I'm not. We had a good laugh about it. And um, so we, we in, in the house, like, it was the last, last night, and we were all getting ready for bed and that kind of thing, and there was a situation arose in the home, and there was a disagreement between two of the younger people in the house. And it was getting late, and, um, and yeah, the dogs. We're talking about the dogs. Two four-legged creatures. They were not getting along. And um, so instead of just, you know, jumping on a, a bandwagon and you need to go to bed, just kind of, we, we brought them both downstairs, the two dogs, and we begin to talk about it and begin to say, okay, what, what's the Bible teach us to do here? In this situation, what's the biblical response to this? And without Teresa and I saying a word, they worked it out biblically. I was like, y'all go to bed. You know, I'm going to sleep now, you know. And it, it was, there was no hollering. There was no screaming. There's no tears. There's no, um, you know, it was all, all of a sudden was, is I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. I misunderstood. No, I misunderstood. And I'm thinking, God, you are so stinking good. Because you put the word of God in children's heart, they will play out what the word of God says. And we just open up the word of God and let the word of God do the teaching. But it's, it's what, what, what's happening here is, 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 is Paul is saying, he says, which in thee by putting on of my hands. And I begin to consider what was Paul talking about in a biblical sense here. What, what, what scripture could we apply in this situation? Because if you're like me and most of you are, is that we want to, to answer scripture with scripture. Right? That's how you, if you want to know the answer, don't go to your own back, uh, uh, backyard of your mind and try to figure out what the scripture saying. Answer scripture with scripture. So I, I began to consider and I began to look at some commentaries and I began to look at different things. And, and the thing that came prevailing to me is what Paul was saying when he laying upon of hands, it brought out Ephesians 4. Let's go to Ephesians 4. Ephesians chapter number 4. Are you still with me here tonight? Still with me? Um, because this is, this is very, very important. Remember, Paul is in prison. He's impassioned. He's trying to get Timothy's thoughts. He's trying to captivate him. Trying to, this could be my last letter. I need to make sure uh, Timothy understands what I'm trying to say. Saying, I want you to come and even talk to me. I want you to visit me here in Rome. And volunteer. Um, who can I pick on? All right. I'm going to get, I'm going to pick on two people. I need, um, I want to ask Ernie to come up here. He's my Wednesday night. I want to ask him to come up here. And then I want to ask uh, Jacob to come up here. Raphael can cover for you back there. Come stand right here next to me. Both of you side by side. Cowboy boots and everything. Come on down. Come right over here next to Ernie. You both of you face face me. And Paul was 
he wanted to impart something to Timothy. You need to stir up the gift of God in your life by fanning that flame. Have the Holy Ghost, but you need to fan that flame with God. He said, but he takes it a step further and he says, he says, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And I'm no Paul. But I wonder what Paul was thinking when he wrote this. And it comes to Ephesians 4 for me, verse number 11. And he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of ministry. I need you guys to hear this. For the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And this is right in here somewhere, and I may not get this. I'm just going to tell you how, how I see it through Scripture. Is that I can see Paul wanting to lay hands on Timothy. I can see it in the Scripture that he's reaching out to Timothy. And Paul is, again, this is his last letter. This is his last opportunity to have a voice into Timothy's life. Unless Timothy comes and sees him. He said, I want you to come and see me, but, but I, I, through the laying on of my hands. And he says, he says that we henceforth, we henceforth, come a little closer, i got to read this scripture. Unless you got it up there. Accomplish in this moment what Paul was trying to accomplish to Timothy. He said, I need to pray for you. I need to pray with you. I long to hear the minister or the pastor, somebody in my younger years to come alongside of me and say, Tim, let me pray for you what the word of God says. I remember times when a man of God would come unto me and he, he wouldn't pray just ordinary prayers and just those canned prayers that you hear people pray all the time. I can tell a canned prayer a mile away. People pray, but when somebody begins to pray the word of God over your life, there's something beautiful about that. When God begins to anoint a man or a, a woman of God, begin to speak the word of God into your life and lay hands on you and say, God, you've given us some apostles, prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfect perfecting of the saints and the work of ministry. Come into the unity of the faith. I wish more than ever before I can look back. I wish men and women would not be ashamed to walk up to me and say, young man, you need to walk after the things of God. We need that more now than ever before, that people look a square in the eyeball and say, hey, young man, hey, young lady, hey, hey, woman of God, man of God, this is what we got to do. We got to put on the armor of God. We need to move in the fruit of the Spirit. We need to invest in ourselves. We need to grow in the knowledge and the grace of God. Walk, don't walk like the Gentiles walk, you knucklehead. Somebody told me that. I wish somebody would have told me that at a younger age. Don't walk like the Gentiles walk. Walk after God. Walk after the things of God. That's how we encourage one another. Encourage one another with the words of God. Amen? We get ourselves on a high horse and we think we got all the answers. That'll come back to bite you real quick. Go to the word of God. It will never return void. Let's look on in the scripture because this gets even more profound to me. Maybe this teaching tonight is just for me and maybe you walk out of here and say well, we've heard that 50 times and but let's let's read on just something so beautiful about this scripture um, let me turn there again in my bible here second timothy says let's read verse six for continuity's sake into verse number seven wherefore i put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of god which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. In other words, you're my disciple. 
followed me as I followed Christ. So I'm going to lay hands on you that I would almost pass the mantle down to you of, of prayer and, 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 and the anointing that I have on my life. I'm going to give what I have. I'm going to give it to you and because and, 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 my last hour is coming. It's, it's coming close and I don't know how much longer I will be here. And then he says verse number 7, which is the crux of really what I want to get to tonight. He says, for God hath not given us my God. Timothy, God did not give us the spirit of what? God did not give us the spirit of fear. This is a man that's in prison trying to get a message to Timothy. He said, you need to fan that flame. He says, I had to lay hands on you to get, to get you to understand that I have some things I want to impart to you. And then he says, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear. That means if God did not give us a spirit of fear, where does fear come from? You've got to answer that question. Because if God doesn't give fear, where does fear come from? And if it's not, if it's not of God, then it's from something else. It's either the spirit of the flesh or the spirit of the Antichrist. Spirit of the Antichrist wants to put fear in the church. The spirit of Antichrist wants you to cow down to the things of this world and, well, this is just the way things are going. No, the children of God and the people of God need to rise up without fear and without resolve, or with, and with resolve say, I'm going to stand upon the knowledge and the understanding of Jesus Christ. I'm going to stand for truth. In other words, Looked up the definition of what the scripture here in the context of what the spirit of fear is. What is the spirit of fear? It's the spirit of a coward. I know that's a hard word for us to swallow, but it uses the word as coward. Paul was saying to Timothy, don't be a coward. God, being a coward does not come from God. The spirit of fear doesn't come from God, Timothy. Timothy, God gives us the spirit of, I'm about to jump into it, next part of this verse. But let's look at this, John 14, verses 26 to 27. But the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, disciple you all things, lay hands upon you to teach you and bring all things to remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth. God doesn't give things like the world gives things. Say that again. God doesn't give things like the world gives things. He says the peace that I give to you is going to be different than what the world preaches as peace. He said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be, neither let it be afraid. Romans 8.15 says, for ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption. Whereby we cry, cry, Abba, Father. Ladies and gentlemen, we do not have to stay in bondage or live in bondage or live in fear. We can live within victorious, a victorious life because we are the sons and daughters of the King. Saying here, God did not give you the spirit of bondage. That is not God's punishment to you. That is your flesh surrendering to a sinful nature, falling into rebellion and deciding to stay somewhere you don't need to stay. But the spirit of fear says, I can never be what you're asking, the Bible's asking me to be. That's nothing but a lie from the devil. Anytime you get afraid or you get troubled in your spirit, that is not from God. Not from God. I, I, I have. I, we all deal with these emotions, and then that you know, wife's not in here yet. We were down. See, it, this story is just funny. It's just we were. 
um, we had a good laugh. And, you know, we were in about knee deep of water and we're in the Gulf of Mexico and there's these rocks that go on about 200 yards. And then on the other side of the rocks, there's an entrance to a large bay. And, and I, it was an island, Michelle Island, and we took a ferry out there and, and um, I got some flippers and we, me and the kids got some snorkeling gear and we're going to go hunting for fish. And there's a couple times that my kids really haven't been snorkeling much in the ocean, and they saw fish they'd never seen before. And their eyes come up out of that water, they're real big, sucking air, like, oh, you ain't going to believe what I just saw. I said, I told you you're going to see things you've never seen before. Water was crystal clear. You could see for, I don't know, 30, 40 feet easily, 50 feet. Beautiful water, really no more than knee, maybe thigh deep, very, very shallow water. And uh, we were out looking for shells and all that stuff, and we convinced Teresa she is not a water person at all. And she, we got her out there, and I said, hey, just put this on. It'd be great trying to put this on. And she's standing there, and she has this goggles and a snorkel thing on, and she puts her head down in the water, and you could hear her sucking air through that thing and almost hyperventilating. It's the funniest thing. And a spirit of fear came over her because either what she was seeing or not the fear of not being able to breathe. And we all had a good laugh. But it's, you're standing there in water that's only knee deep and there's really nothing to be afraid of. But when you put your head under that water and you see what's actually by your feet, you get scared. So what happens is when we go to a place that's unknown or uncharted waters in our life, all of a sudden fear comes up. When you go to talk to somebody about the Lord and you're, you're in a situation you've never been before, all of a sudden fear comes on your life. But the Lord says, that fear is not from me. You can walk in boldness and strength and power. And you don't have to walk in fear. Don't walk in fear. In that moment that you feel as though that it's about to overtake you and you don't, can't do it anymore. And, and it, it, that is not from God. Learn to grow in the absence of fear. Now, I, I, it's, it's, again, it's, 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 a, it's a work of discipline to grow out of fear. I, 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 I simply don't think for everybody, because God gives it everybody a measure of faith, not everybody can absolutely just be, oh, I no more fear in my life. There will be some things that fear is probably a little bit good. It's, a, it's the fear that keeps you from that ledge. So you don't fall off because you're fearful of what could happen. I'm not talking about necessarily that kind of fear. I'm talking about the fear that causes our spirit to drop in our life. The Bible says, for ye have not given us a spirit of fear. But then he names three things. Everybody say three things. I pray don't run out of time. Three things. These are very important. God has given us a spirit of fear. Paul is writing to Timothy, his last will and testament, if you will. And he is writing to Timothy to get him to understand how you can stand the test of the onslaught of false doctrine and, 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 and hanging on and speaking for truth. First thing he says, he says, God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power. Somebody say power. Found in most of the Pauline epistles here. I mean, except Philemon, this word power is used. Um, it's not in the, this word power is not used in the sense of miracles happening. I want, this is very, I had to, had to study this and I had to really get this for myself. And I hope I can share this the way God has re- given it to me. It's not the actual work of miracles, this power. Okay? Um, and sometimes Paul talks about that kind of miraculous power. But here, the power to overcome all obstacles and to face all dangers. That's the kind of power. He says, the power here is going to give you the power to overcome all obstacles and to face all dangers. It is closely linked to the word, what we call a sense of boldness. Right? Everybody understands what boldness is. So this this power is not directly uh, dealing with miracles. It deals, I had to type this out, so I'm just going to read it. 
it deals with the person to believe that miracles will be performed. It's the kind of power that gets you to believe that the miracle can happen. Everybody get what I'm saying there? Because many times we'll pray and we'll just sit and wait for the miracle and we're wondering if the miracle is going to happen. This kind of power gives you the power to know that the miracle is going to happen. Won't drop the mic. So what, what Paul was trying to tell Timothy, he says, not the spirit of fear, but I'm going to equip you with power that you know the work is already done. I wanted to get his hands on him. I want to look him eyeball to eyeball. He says, I want to endue you. God wants to endue you with power. You've already got the Holy Ghost. You already have, you're going to fan that flame. You're going to rebuke the spirit of fear, and then I'm going to give you more power, another level of power, that you will believe that the miracle is going to happen before it happens. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have. That's power before the miracle. That's faith. He says, I'm going to pray, and this scripture, this, this whole book is about Timothy, I don't want your faith to waver. He is building his faith in this letter. He says, in order to build your faith, you have to have the power to believe before you have the power to see it happen. Get what I'm saying there. That's an important element of your walk with God in prayer. Many of us will pray and just hope the miracle happens. Right, we do. We lay hands on a sick they're going to be healed. Well, maybe not. Well, they're going to be, I don't know. But you have faith that before you ever get to that prayer time, my God is a healer. I'm convinced that he is a healer. My God, when I lay hands upon that person by the power and the word of Jesus Christ, you are healed. Power to believe before you see the power of the miracle. Writing to Timothy, y'all. Power, so it's not directly dealing with the miracle. It deals with the person to believe that miracles will be performed. In other words, another word here is I looked this up in the Greek and the Hebrew. It's abundance, might, strength, a mighty, wonderful work. You're thinking that's the miracle. No, the wonderful work is to walk in that power. Y'all, I've lost some of y'all. Either that you're tired or you've ate too much lasagna before you came. We give out five-hour energies next week. But before Wednesday night, nobody go to sleep that night after church. No, I'm just teasing. My wonderful work in the person to whom it is given. Zechariah 4 and 6 says, get this. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might. Nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Acts 1 and 8 says, you shall have power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. This is the kind of power. The Bible says he will give you power after. Some of y'all are just still, when you're filled with the Holy Ghost, I got the power. No, you ain't got all the power. Not, not the power. You don't have all the power. What the Bible says, we say, we, a lot of times we think the power is just the Holy Ghost and we dance and shout. That's why a lot of people walk out of church and walk back into church, walk out of church, walk back into churches because they're not living in the power that Paul's talking about. You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses. How can you be a witness? It's because you're walking in power. Both unto, unto me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. Luke 10 and 19. Behold, I give unto you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions. And over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. In other words, you have power to not be afraid. Paul is writing to Timothy in, while he's in prison. 
to equip Timothy with the job that's coming up. Because here, here's the deal. If we don't walk in the power that the Scripture's talking about here, you will get burnt out in ministry. You will want to throw in a towel. Now, I felt like throwing in a towel. Many of you probably have, too. You probably like, oh, I always saw this stuff and whatever. You know, you, you, you have those moments, right? But then you have to put on the armor of God again. You got to put on a word of faith. Somebody can encourage you. You got to encourage yourself in the Lord. He says, I have the power uh, over the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt. You know, sometimes you got to pray the word of God. You ever prayed the word? This is a great scripture to pray when you're going through something. You can put your head back. And I know it can be difficult sometimes. It said, God has given to me power to overcome my situation that I'm facing right now. I have the power over all the enemies of this world, and nothing by any means shall harm me. It's okay to pray that kind of prayer. They say, Amen. Second thing he says is love. Now you come off this power. And he says, love, where it gets difficult for even some people. Love that's described in this scripture is agape love. You look it up, put your little concordance finger on the word, and it'll pop up the definition. And, and love, this love is agape love, which is affection or benevolence in a plural sense. And I love everything. sense of benevolence love a love to everyone Galatians 5 22 but the fruit of the spirit is love. starts with the love joy peace long-suffering gentleness be faith love and not come in the face of people trying to destroy you and if you have not love you will fall because when people start criticizing you and you don't look at them with love, you will something will well up in you to attack right back at them. But if you look at that person with love and power, get this, love and the power we just got done talking about. I want to love you so much until the miracle happens. Point at the wall, not Arnold. They work hand in hand. They work hand in hand. Love and power. I love you no matter what. We may have disagreements. We may have uh, things that, that we just don't, you know, we all have don't like the same foods. We don't like the same restaurants. We don't like the same places. Some of you like the country and other likes the city. doesn't mean that we disagree. It means we may disagree about certain things. It doesn't mean I don't love you. You know, there's an attack on the love, on love in this world right now. It doesn't matter where you, what you believe, and all of a sudden, they, they, people shut you off. Shut you down, no matter what you, well, I don't agree with that, so I, well, I love you. I got to move on. Third thing here, very important. What's the third thing he says here? This, this one here is incredible. You study this out. This is, is, is incredible. So, but Paul, again, we're going to, I'm, I'm, I'm repeating some things here to give us some, give us some context, to, re, to re, re, reconfirm what we're trying to say here. Paul is in prison. He's impassioned. He needs to talk to Timothy. It's the last letter. I need to tell him what it's going to take to overcome the things of this world. So as a pastor, I'm telling you what it's going to take to overcome the things of this world. I'm doing what Paul is trying to tell the Timothy, and we need to do that in a discipleship manner to those that are coming up around us. These young men that I had come up here, we need to be speaking to them. You need to be speaking to the young ladies, speaking to people around you and say, you have, if you have the Holy Ghost, fan up that flame. Come on, fan up that flame. Put on the power, put on love. We need to encourage each other in the fruit of the Spirit. So, of a sound mind. Now, this is... Not just self-control. Listen to me. It's not just self-control. What this is, a sound mind. Look to your neighbor and say it's not self-control. 
get this, I had to type this out, so y'all just bear with me. But the faculty of generating it in others or in oneself. Before you have self-control, you have to have to do something to gain self-control. A sound mind tells me I need to be under self-control, so I need to do this to have self-control. Just like having uh, seen a miracle happen, there is the faith and the power to believe that the miracle is going to happen. Y'all got, got, got that one, right? What Paul was trying to tell here, a sound mind is, is the understanding and the faculties getting my mind right to know when I need to be under self-control and to be disciplined to get there. Okay? In other words, is making them of a sound mind. He says, I want you to know that you need to have a sound mind so you can get other people to have a sound mind about discipleship. Have a sound mind, one that is under the control of the mighty God and that is disciplined to teach others to have a sound mind. It says having and teaching disciplines. Um, a sound mind. In other words, being disciplined in doctrine. Disciplined in faith. There are many attackers in this world, Timothy. You must have a sound mind. Now, let's take it a step further. What does also a sound mind mean? And I use the word a couple of times, and that is discipline, disciples. Being a disciple or being disciplined. That's what the root word of, uh, of discipleship is, being a disciple. Um, to have, uh, have, have a sound mind. Um, Psalms 119 and 80 says this, let my heart be sound. Everybody say sound. Have that sense of dis discipline in my mind. Okay? Have a sense of discipline. And when you are, have a sense of discipline, he says, let my heart be sound in thy statutes that I might not be ashamed. You know what you know is right. And you're sound in doctrine. There is nobody else that convince you otherwise. I put on the mind of God. So what Paul was trying to tell Timothy here is that you got to have power. You got to have love for everybody. But you need to be sound in doctrine. Because the people that are being equipped by the devil and the spirit of the world in this world don't care about you find every little thing to rat on you about your God and say that hey, you need to be sound in doctrine. You need to know that the Lord loves you. And you need to know that God is working on your behalf. You need to know that there is only one Lord. You need to know that there is one faith. You need to know without a shadow of a doubt and not just be saying it. You need to know the word of God for yourself. I've said this before. I think I said this two weeks ago. You need to invest in yourself. How do I do that? Take the word of God, digest it, invest in yourself. So the end be, let my heart be sound in thy statutes that I might not be ashamed. If you know what you know, you're not going to be ashamed about it. Nobody convince you otherwise. Proverbs 2 and, 7, 2 and 7, he layeth up sound wisdom for righteous, but he is a buckler to them that walk uprightly, being sound in mind. Proverbs 8, 14, counsel is mine. And sound wisdom. I am understanding. I have strength. When you have a sound mind, there's strength that comes. When you have a disciplined mind, that's when strength comes upon your life. Isaiah 11, 2 says, The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and strength. The Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. What is Paul, and I come to a close, Paul was writing, this sets up the rest of the book. And he, there's so many wonderful things um, throughout, throughout the rest of, of 2 Timothy. Um, we, we jump a lot to chapter number 3, because um, Paul gets to this, uh, he says, this, this know also. 
that in the last days perilous times shall come. I'm glad he talked to Timothy about power and love and having a sound mind because he kind of told Timothy, I'm going to equip you right here because in the last days perilous times are going to come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without, unnatu- without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, continent, fierce despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of the world, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away device lures, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the Lord. He said, you got to put on the power, you got to have love, and you got to have a sound mind because this is coming. Why? Pastor, give this to you. Say to you, you need to have the power of God. You need to fan the flame of the Holy Ghost, but that's not the only thing you got to do. You got to exercise faith in, with that power. And you got to know that when you pray, the miracle has already taken place, the thing has already been taken care of, so that you can walk in strength and power and might. And when people say things that come against you, you can look at them with love and a sound mind. Paul was a pretty smart guy. He had an urgent message for Timothy. Paul's last will and testament, let's say, is 2 Timothy. Let's take this to heart. We call Paul one of the greatest evangelists, right, in the Scripture? Greatest missionary in Scripture. And if he's in prison and he wanted to get a message to you, I believe this is it right here. Deals with how we should live. Let's stand. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. If you would like to know more information about our church, please check us out on Facebook at Lifeway Apostolic Church. May God richly bless you.